1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more, to subscribe, and while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rub, bad rub! You guys wanna go see a dead body? Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We are very excited to be speaking with today's guest this week. Um, maybe not so much excited about the movie that we're, we're going to be discussing, but uh, this guest, boy, what a resume this dude has. He's a screenwriter, producer, New York City horror trivia orchestrator, film publicist, and director who's been working in the industry for over two decades. You may have seen his excellent We Are Still Here back in 2015 our old pal Noah Sagan in his 2017 film Mohawk, or maybe you've caught his latest film, Broken 45, which drops this Friday at one of a few film festivals over the past several months. Today, he's here to talk to us about the next installment in the long-running and increasingly punishing Children of the Corn franchise, 1999's Children of the Corn 666, Isaac's Return. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Ted Gagan. Ted, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me here to discuss this uh, cinematic treat. Yeah, I'm glad we finally you 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 made another movie, so we could invite John. This is this is perfect timing. You finally have an excuse. Yes. My first question for you about Brooklyn 45 is, well, actually, we we you we tell our audience what it's about before I absolutely start shotgunning um, questions at you. Uh, so Brooklyn 45 is about five old friends who get together in the parlor of a Brooklyn brownstone in the uh, months following the end of World War II. Uh, they get they get together to uh, be there for their host for the evening, um, whose wife has recently died. And mm-hmm. uh, cocktails very quickly turn into an impromptu seance. And these characters, all of whom... Uh, uh, served in the military and and fought in both World War One and World War Two. Yeah, it's a period um, piece. It is. It is a period piece. Yes. Um, it, they are forced to uh, kind of reckon what they have done, and the uh, the metaphoric ghosts of their past become literal ghosts of their present. Mm. Yes, it is a very heady horror movie. I would say this is. Um, there's there's a lot going on under the hood of this thing, and. My first question for you is, well, a statement and then a question in classic Q&A style. First, I think this is an exceptionally ballsy movie to make. And I think that because so much of it is set in, you know, it's like a chamber piece. It's in one location for the majority of it, right? Yes, and in real time, the whole movie. I'm guessing that that was probably a COVID consideration. But even if it wasn't, did you have any, like, 
concern about doing this because I would be scared shitless as a filmmaker to, to you know, to pull that off, to yeah, pull off what you're trying to pull off in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it actually wasn't a uh, it wasn't a COVID uh, consideration no. when when writing it. Um, uh, I, I wrote the film originally in in 2018, um, and it it was birthed from uh, when when I was going around in the festival circuit with uh, We Are Still Here. I would, you know, when I do the Q and A after the movie, I would regularly have people tell me they were they were like, I really love that seance scene in the movie between Larry Fessenden and Andrew Sensenig, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the scene's great. It, it's it's arguably like one of the big showstoppers in the movie. But my joke answer was always like, oh, if you love that seance scene so much, my next movie is just going to be one big seance. And, you know, it like got a chuckle. But like that that dumb little joke kind of became like the seed that that turned into <laughs> turned into the tree that is this movie. And I I ended up in a, in a position where I, I thought to myself, this is again, years and years ago, right. Almost right after I was done with Mohawk, I was like, what would it actually take to write a movie that was, that was just in one room and was just like a seance. The whole movie is a seance. And, um, because I hate the present, um, I knew I wanted it to be, a period <laughs> um, and I, I was like, I just need to get out of the present. And that was that was long before the present got even as, as bad as it is these days. Um, <laughs> I came up with this idea of, of setting it in the uh, the months right after the end of World War Two, which is a time that's really like almost never used in in, in entertainment. Um, we we no, think of like post-war America as like, oh, everybody moves to the suburbs and has 2.5 right. children. And like that, that sailor kissing the woman in Times Square, like th- that's what we think of when we think of post-war America. But really like the end of 1945 and good chunk of 1946, like was just awful. Like, like everybody had come back from the world, shells of the people they were like facing down, not only the atrocities they'd seen, but the atrocities they'd committed, like trying to reintegrate themselves back into society and it was it was kind of nightmarish. And I thought like this is a, this is a really interesting time to set a, a genre film. You know, it's it's kind of like like the best years of our lives. But like, let's add a ghost. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I came up with the concept of it. I wrote a treatment for it and I, I was writing the script and I just couldn't quite figure out how to get from point A to point B. I knew what point B was, but I just couldn't quite get there. And so I reached out to my my father, who's a uh, quadriplegic uh, Air Force veteran, um, is a staff sergeant in the U.S. Air Force, and um, he was involved in a, a car accident in the early '70s and uh, was was paralyzed and honorably discharged. And after he was discharged from the military, he went back to school and got his degree in 20th century U.S. history. And I thought, oh my God, who better to ask like for some advice than like my veteran dad, I'm writing a movie about veterans and like a, who studied U.S. history. And this is this is a movie set in in Brooklyn, New York, 1945. And so I reached out to him and he was like, dude, I'm not creative. Like, don't don't ask me this <laughs> stuff. Like, I'm a grumpy old veteran. Like um, and I told him, I, I said, you know, you're what you know is so important to crafting a story like this. And, you know, as as a total pacifist peacenik, you know, anti-war dude. I was like, it is really important for me to 
to get this right. Um, because even though I'm wildly political, like I wanted this film to be very apolitical. I wanted it to be a movie that, you know, whether you're whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, hopefully everybody can just watch this movie and the takeaway from it is war really sucks and <laughs> it ruins people and it ruins lives and it changes people forever. Um, and so my dad helped me out and he, he told me about battles that I'd never heard of. And he told me about ranks that I should have been aware of. And, um, he helped me figure things out and really like, it sounds so douchey, but like the characters, like they came to life after he gave me this information and I just spit out the rest of the script, like so fast and sent it back to him. He gave me notes and we bounced it back and forth about six or seven times. Um, and it was, uh, right at the beginning of 2019 that, um, he called me up. It was, uh, January, 2019. He called me up and said, dude, it, it's done. It, it's, it's done. I mean, he told me, he's like, you don't need to do anything else to it. It's, it's ready to be turned into a movie. And I was like, dad, that's so cool. And I jokingly said like, do you want a co-writer credit on it? And he's like, Oh <laughs> God, no, no. He's like, that's super embarrassing. Like, don't, um, and I was like, okay. I was like, I'll just paycheck in it for you, Dad. Yeah, exactly. There's some some dollar dollar bills, Dad. Um, and I said, well, I'm just then I'll put special thanks. And he said, okay, cool. And he he said, you know, I'm really excited to see this movie. And we hung up the phone, and he died. And what? It was, it was the last conversation I ever had with my dad. Like right um, after that phone call? Yeah, about two hours later. Um, what? What yeah. the fuck? Yeah, that the, is absolutely not how this story. I thought that story was going to. No, um, that yeah, they kind of bury the lead there. Um, but I realized that I suddenly this movie is so personal, you know. And this was 2019. Yeah, and I was like, God, I only have one chance to make a movie with my dad. Like this is nuts, you know. And right. So I I spent a long time trying to find the right people to make it with, and do it right and i put my whole damn heart into it and eventually you know shutter read the script the the team over there read it and they really responded to it and i think it was exciting for them because it was it was very different than a lot of the stuff that that they're making over there um and uh, they agreed to do it and we um you know we we shot it in uh 2021 and we spent all of 2022 in post and um it, it came out this year uh, and it world premiered at South by Southwest. And, you know, it, it's dedicated to my dad. Um, that's the last thing on the screen in, in, in the film. It's it's a dedication to my father and just thanking him for everything he did. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to have made it with him, but I'd give anything for him to have been at South by with me, watching it with me. Well, I'm very sorry to hear about the timing oh. on that. Well, um, you know, I guy, knew your father had passed away, but I didn't know this particular part of it and you know very yeah. tremendously sorry to hear that well, at the same you know, time the, i think he'd be really proud of the work you you put into this thing it looks great you know i i am not a believer in the afterlife but uh, you know and i'd so say i don't think my dad's up on some cloud looking down on me going like that movie turned out great you know but <laughs> i i how did I, it play in nebraska though yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. that would have been him um but no, you know, I, I can I can step away from it, though, and be like, I think he would have liked this movie, you know, like and that that to me is like that. That's about as good as it gets, you know, and I'm really I'm really proud of we are still here and I'm really proud of Mohawk and I'm, I'm proud of all the stuff that I've ever written. But like this yeah, is this the only special. Movie, this is the only movie I ever got to make with my dad. So like right. like 
you know, I, I love it. And I guess if people don't like it, fuck them, you know, like <laughs> right. I, I like it. And I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say that very often over the course of my life, because it is important that people like your movies, you know, like show business is a business. You need, you need right. to make these movies for other people, but I kind of made this movie for my dad and hopefully that resonates with people. Not, not just the story. I mean, the movie has to stand on its own, obviously. Right, I'm right. not, I'm not trying to play the dead dad card here, you know, like I hope people like it just cause it's, it's a cool movie and it asks a lot of questions and, you know, it's really more of like a, a stage drama that occasionally has some yes. horror and some ectoplasm in it. But, you know, like, I, I hope it makes people think. I hope it, it starts up some conversations about, like, what a good person is, you know, what how we're defined, you know. And also, it's it's got some splatter and it's got some it's got some goopy ghost stuff. So ho- hopefully, hopefully the people on Shudder will dig it. And you know what else it's got is a uh, Larry Pheasant which mm. you cannot fucking go wrong with. No, you if can't. I, if I find out Larry Fessenden is in a movie that I'm watching, I am very excited. And how great is it when Larry actually gets to be in a movie for more than like 30 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen session nine. He's like, he, <laughs> like the first time I, well, maybe not the first time, because I don't think I was, like I knew who Larry was the first time I saw that. You know, I was still, oh. you know, like I saw it when it came out, you know, yeah. I, I I still hadn't learned all the names of everyone. I wasn't as deep in this shit as I am now, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I remember when I finally clocked, I go, oh, shit, that's Larry being yeah. like, no, that can't. He's in it for like 30 fucking seconds. That can't be yeah. him. But <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild when you look up his I mean, when you look up his IMDb, it's just packed with movies where he's like, you know, guy on street number six, you know, like. And he's so good and he's such an amazing actor. And he'll, he'll always say the opposite. He's always like, I'm not an actor. I'm a director who occasionally acts. I'm like, you're actually really good, dude. Like you're, you're really, really good. And I I think he's wonderful in Brooklyn 45. Like, I mean, he gives, he gives a four minute monologue, you know, and I think it's like riveting, you know, it's just, it's just him owning like four minutes of movie. And I hope more filmmakers give him those opportunities because I, I just think he's great. And uh, apparently, you know, he's he's got a little bit in the uh, the new uh, Martin Scorsese film that just premiered at Cannes. Oh, so, no uh, shit. Yeah. Oh, so that's he, exciting. He, yeah. He and Marty are pals. So, yeah, there's he, he told me that when he when he was on set that things things were slow that day and Marty was Marty was being fussy. And, you know, he, he's he's Marty's like, we got to get this stuff done faster. We got to get this stuff done faster. And he like yells out. He's he's like, Fessenden here could have made four movies by now. <laughs> 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 he's well, uh when, he, he's he's a great i just want to really want to quickly want to point out that, sure. that fessenden is he's kind of the epitome of a of a great character actor and and i mean that in the like truest possible sense because we have a lot of people working now that like could fit into a quote-unquote character actor guy but like you know mold but fessenden reminds me of the kind of character actor I grew up watching the Dick Millers or whatever, you know, where you're watching mm-hmm. a movie and you go every time they come in, it's always the highlight of the movie is when they come mm-hmm. in. Yeah. It, whether or not they get a, a speech, whether it's, uh, you know, Bud Flowers, you know, saying one line to Marty McFly or something, you know, it's like they're whatever it is. It's like, there's going to be that moment where they stand out. Yeah. Uh, and Fessenden has that, 
you know, has that in spades. And of course, you know, it doesn't hurt that he has more than a passing resemblance to Jack Nicholson. And we don't have that kind of actor, you know, in front of us uh, anymore either, you know? So it's like, he's kind of the, the, the wombo combo there of, of uh, reminding you of somebody you don't get to see plus being his own unique individual, like ball of charisma. So yeah, just speaking as a viewer that that's what I, you know, why I always perk up whenever I see, When I found out that that Jack Torrance was actually going to be a character in the Doctor Sleep movie, I was livid (laughs) that Larry was not playing him. I was (laughs) like, come on. Like, we are... I mean, I mean, it's it is what it is, but it's uh, you know, and I, I love that film, but it's also like, oh my god, please, like, give this to Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have been a little too old for what they were aiming mm. for. That, but uh, yeah, but I do see the resemblance for Look, sure. Just de- de-age him. Look, we they, we have the yes. technology. Yes, <laughs> that is true. true. We true. certainly have that. <laughs> Throw the Lola filter on him. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, I suppose yeah. we should move on to our the matter at hand. Um, which is this movie we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, But before we get to that, um, Ted, can we, can we get your Stephen King origin story, please? Absolutely. So um, my Stephen King origin story is uh, that I I grew up, I grew up absolutely terrified of horror. I wanted nothing to do with horror as a kid. Um, It it bothered me. It freaked me out. Like I wanted the idea of being scared was was not something that I I was ever keen on, and um, as a as a little kid, um, here here we are full circle, or rather we just spoke about it, so maybe a maybe a tenth of a circle, but um, I I saw The Shining, um, the film, and I absolutely fell in love with it, and it made me realize that. I could watch horror movies, and that that this was a genre that I could actually get into and um i the right after seeing the film i went out and i i bought the book and and i I read the novel and it was the first book i ever read um ever like 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 adult book Mm -hmm. i mean as a kid i read the the little kid stuff but it was the first like adult book that i sat down and read and i read it on a camping trip i i grew up in rural montana and uh we would always go camping up in glacier national park and it blew my mind very quickly to discover that the opening sequence in The Shining, um, when uh, Jack is driving up uh, to the Overlook, that was actually shot in Glacier National Park on the Going to the Sun Road. The, those gorgeous shots of the car weaving up mm-hmm. the road, where you can see the helicopter shadow, basically the, the opening credits. Um, and every single time I go up to Glacier, I, I have to drive Going to the Sun Road. Now it's way out of the way but I, I can't not drive the road up to the overlook. And um, I, I ended up also marrying a woman who the, the shining is her favorite film of all time. So mm. once she discovered this now, it, it's kind of a, uh, just a, a mutual, we must make this drive every time. So that's oh, uh, that, take that drive. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is a beauty. You <laughs> will never, never find a more gorgeous spot in the world than Glacier National Park. And then um you know, I, I remained a, a fan forever uh, up to the point where um, several years ago uh, I decided uh, my my now ex-wife and I still best friends. So uh, but um, my now ex-wife and I, we went uh, on a vacation to Maine uh, and we wanted to do all of the Pet Cemetery filming locations. So <laughs> we drove all around. I remember and, when you did that. You posted yeah, all the pictures was, on Twitter. I was posting all the pictures on Twitter. Even yeah. 
found found uh found the house ran out in the middle of the road and threw my shoe in the road so i could get that photo <laughs> was absolutely horrified to see how often semis barrel down that road like it, mm -hmm. it happens all the time it's yeah terrifying how accurate that is um and then of course since we were there we had to uh we had to go by uh stephen king's home and and creep at the front gates and take our photos so that's yeah. uh and that's me and the legend right there. That's about as about as good as it gets for me. Did you do the Stephen King tour up in Bangor? I, I didn't do the tour. Um, I basically just because we, we were only um, we were we were visiting a town. We we got like you know a hotel in some some random gorgeous little seaside town. So we only we were only able to afford ourselves like two hours in Bangor. Right. So we we had previously like done all the googling. And created mm -hmm. like a Google map of all the places we needed to hit. So we just right, kind of like, right. drove all around, like caught everything as quickly as possible. Saw, saw the uh, saw the big lumberjack, you know, like did all the must sees. If you ever, if you all ever go back to, or, or you and your present wife, wait, did you yeah. say it was your ex? It, it was my ex wife I went there with, but I'm sure me and the the current misses will absolutely make the trip to Bangor. Yeah, definitely take. It's called SK Tours. They um they were the the folks we worked with last year when we did the banger in Bangor. Um, oh, amazing. And it's like a three hour just overdose. Of, oh, yeah. it, like, amazing. They drive you through the, all over that goddamn town. And it turns out the whole town is just like overflowing with Stephen King e Easter eggs. There's like, yeah, Randall, like our flag hardware. And over here's the fucking truck stop that inspired trucks and maximum no overdrive and over here's the it's just everywhere you they'll take you look. down into the barrens and stuff oh yeah. that's so dope yeah. awesome yeah and so you know we we ended our time in bangor we actually went um i i i had to go because i'm i'm very proud of my my silly irish last name but we we went to gagan's pub and brewery um they spell they spell gagan's a little differently than we spell gagan but same name um, when I when I see there's a Gagan anywhere, I had to go. So we, we randomly go into this Gagan's pub and brewery and we sit down. They're, they're like, oh, where are you from? We said, oh, New York, you know, just seeing some of the sights. You know, we want to see some of the Stephen King stuff. And they said, oh, they said, well, unless unless Stephen and Tabitha come in, you can sit in their booth. And I said, oh, OK. So we went over <laughs> and it's adorable. They actually have a little a little uh, placard on the table that says reserved for Stephen and Tabitha. So, <laughs> Holy shit. Adorable. Everywhere, like those, those yeah. are. It's kind of something you you find out the more time you spend there. But it's just like they've quietly just been like the cornerstone of that community. I mean, you'd know that they would be the local celebrities, right? That that that's without question. Of course, they're going to be mm. the most famous people on a national you know level in yeah. the small main town. But like you know, they've also fucking built libraries and public yeah. pools and, you know, like quietly, you a know, invested back in their baseball community. diamond and shit. Right. Yeah. Bangor yeah. has a limited number of people that are worth what they are worth and put it back into the community. I mean, I, I grew up in rural Montana and the town I grew up in was larger than Bangor. <laughs> so yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's tiny up there. Oh, but it's we, had a, but we had a, we had a great time up there though. It's uh and and it's yep. a pilgrimage that you know if you're a king fan you gotta oh, you gotta make yeah, it at absolutely least yeah mm -hmm. no it's so important you gotta you gotta see it I I had such a blast there and I I really look forward to taking the misses and and the new baby Teddy up there so, so are you are you still reading King 
Uh, I'm not. I I and then for no fault of anyone's, I, I am just. I have not been reading in a long time. Life has been so hectic and wild that honestly, yeah. like I'm such, I'm such a cinephile that these days I'm just like like oh my god, I have 90 minutes free. Like I'm just gonna watch a movie. Honestly, like my my ability to dedicate myself to anything longer than a two hour commitment is almost impossible and by that i mean even like i don't really watch a lot of tv much these days like and there's i mean we're in like this golden age of television and i'll watch one episode of a show and i'm like that was great and i'm like i don't have it in me to keep tuning into this like like i'm Mm -hmm. just i I love movies they are they have kept me alive like they are they're truly like everything to me and there's something so wonderful and beautiful about being able to like sit down and commit to 90 to whatever amount of minutes and you get a beginning, a middle and an end and you can step away from it and say like, I don't owe this art anything else. And God bless all of the authors out there writing these amazing books. I mean, and, and these incredible people making these TV shows, but it's just, it's just not in me these days, you know, like about, about as close as I get is I'm, I'm very dear friends with Grady Hendrix, who I believe was on your show in Mm -hmm. in the past. And I, I read Grady's books um, mainly because I just feel like I'd be a total dick if I didn't read my friend's book. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's really amazing how often I hear this exact same thing from people. Yeah. People on the show, people I'm talking to, you know, offline or online or whatever, you know, um, people that are just like, I don't have the I don't have the time to read, you know, and I'm one of them. You know, I used to read fucking voraciously and I, I just yeah. don't do it anymore. It's it's um, tough. Really adult tough. Life, yeah. Adult life is really like if I've got a few hours to kill, like that's precious, you know, yeah. and, you know, um, I only take there's one day like every Sunday. Sundays are my I'm not doing fuck all today days. At mm-hmm. most, I will throw some laundry in the machine, <laughs> but I am staying in pajamas. I'm not doing fucking anything. And that's like. I've got to do that to like balance out everything yeah. else, you know, yeah. and Saturdays is usually like, we'll go do, you know, you, you party with your friends or whatever the fuck you're going to do. But yeah, like, and, and nowhere in this schedule, which only allows for one real full day off uh, per week. Is there a lot of time for me to sit down and, and read a book? I recently picked up, um, uh, Cormac McCarthy's, uh, blood meridian again. Okay. Like I read that when I was, I don't know, probably like late teen years, maybe early twenties and just didn't like, I, 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 long story short, I feel like I will find new things to appreciate it now that I'm twice that age. Um, and I want to see it before this fucking movie they're making comes along. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's been sitting here on my fucking nightstand for three (laughs) weeks. I haven't, it's a drink delayed my friend. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally a drink coaster. I have a drink sitting on it right now. I have not picked it up, despite the fact that I really want to read it. But yeah. also, Zelda just came out. What the fuck am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's know, the thing I... is, is that there's other things demanding your attention, and yeah. uh, and it's also there's a weird side effect, at least for me. You know, doing a Stephen King podcast where I read Stephen King a lot for the show. Not that it really, it still doesn't really register as work work, but now it, the association of reading something, a novel, right. is now associated, whether or not it's for the show or not, if it's just for pleasure, it's associated in that 
area of my brain with work. We have the uh, the early copies of King's newest book that doesn't come out till September, and I've only got I've only been <laughs> got like forty pages into it so yeah, far. That one's sitting like in my bathroom. <laughs> yeah, so it's like yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to crack into it because I'm going to be on an airplane here in a few days, and and uh, and I'll just dive into it. And I'm sure right. when I do that, you know, the hook will set, and and uh, and I'll just have to to finish it. But yeah, it takes it. Much like uh, Scott, like I was a voracious reader when I was a kid, like my teen years, my, uh, you know, my preteen years, like pretty much anything up to the end of high school, I always had a a, a new fiction book in my hand. And yeah. that but yeah, it, it takes a lot for me to read these days. And that's uh, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um not proud of it. Don't don't particularly <laughs> right. like it. Yeah. But I also kind of feel like I'm happy with the way I'm ingesting media these days you know be it like music or tv or movies or video games or whatever like i feel like i'm like books aren't getting the attention that they should be getting but i also kind of feel like this will all cycle again and you know there'll come a period where i i'm doing a lot more of that i'm just not in that particular my 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 headspace is in in 20 20 years or so i'll be 65 and hopefully i can find a way to retire which is laughable considering (laughs) yeah we're we're, we're all working until we're dead son yeah oh 100 but but in my fictional version of the future i'm like when i'm retired i'm gonna watch all these tv shows and play all these video games because we all know how eager we are to play 20 year old video games (laughs) so Yeah. yeah, so that that's that's kind of where I where I stand on things. And right. yeah, I just yeah, in terms of ingesting media, I mean, about as close as I can get to, you know, anything other than movies is is watching TV shows that are non episodic or not episodic, but you know, like non chronological. Like I, I, you know, I watch Bob's like Burgers. Shark Tank. I watch, yeah, I, I don't yeah. do any reality, but I do like Bob's Burgers. I right. animation is actually my my go to. I I'm just as big an animation fan as I'm a horror fan, right. and I just it's it's the ultimate escape because you literally don't even have actors in it. It's it's I mean you do you have voice actors, but like you're looking at something that does not exist in reality. You're looking at at just drawings, and it's right. beautiful and it's wonderful way to escape. And um, if if you want to read something that'll make you teary eyed, um, I guess to both you guys and to anybody listening is um. After you're uh, after you're done uh, watching this, um, just just Google my name and the word Bob's Burgers and read read the piece I wrote for uh, RogerEbert.com um, about Bob's Burgers and how it saved my life. So uh, right on. It's uh, it's it's one of the most special personal things I, I've ever uh, shared, and uh, I don't want to get too into it now, right. but um, uh, check it out. That's uh, that's a good example of uh, just just how special and important. <clears throat> TV right. can be how especially well, important art can be. It, it saves us. Sure. Well, um, I I think that our listeners are about to get a really serious case of whiplash. Not just they absolutely are. Not oh, not yeah, just uh, tonally from you know your your moving uh, piece about Bob's Burgers and whatnot, but we also just spent ten minutes talking about how we don't have time uh to to read or whatever and uh uh, and you know finding those precious 90 minutes are you know are valuable um and uh, you're about to tell tell us uh how many times you watched children of the corn 666 yeah ted you mentioned beforehand you watched this movie how many times for this podcast 
I watched this film three times uh, for this podcast. Um, I needed to make sure that I got all of the deep nuances. Um, that, that 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 does translate into one Avatar amount of time of watching it's the movie. True. It is yeah, a short yeah. movie, so it was it was only on the second viewing that I did even realize that Carrie Scoglin directed it, who, yeah. who did did uh, Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yep. Um, yeah, I didn't so, like that either. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's um. Th- what was your experience watching it, Vespi? Uh, like, oh, did you, did you have did you have trouble absorbing? Well, yes, it was. It's one of those, and I felt really bad because it it and it's the initial feeling is what I get every time we visit one of these Dimension era uh, Children of the Corns because within like five years they made I think forty seven Children of the Corn movies <laughs> for direct video Children of the Corn movies Dimension did. Uh, and they all have a look that reminds me instantly of my senior year of high school. So like what? everybody's wearing that, like that nineties fashion. It all looks like, you know, fucking music oh, videos of the nineties. And so I was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I get that initial burst of nostalgia. And then my fucking attention goes, Broop. I want to be looking at anything except for what's on the screen right now. Uh, and I was, I was fighting being the guy on my phone for the entire movie. Uh, and I failed that fight a few times during that. It's, it's the wild. Movie. You're saying that, that you're both saying this because, I too watched this movie three times and I did that not to completion, but I I did attempt to watch it three times and I could not fucking focus on anything that was going on in this movie. Like I didn't understand it. Like the first time I tried it, I threw it on within 10 minutes. I was fucking around on my phone and I was like, (laughs) put the phone down, you know, start paying attention to the movie. And then I went into like a fugue like state. (laughs) <laughs> and the next thing I came to, I'm playing a game on my phone and the movie's going on. I was like, wait a fucking minute. I was supposed to be watching this. And this kept happening. So I was like, all right, maybe now is not the right time. So I tried it again the next day. Same goddamn thing happened. Today, the day we recorded this, I got my my work done for the, for, uh, for the morning for Fangoria. And then uh, I threw on the movie again, thinking that, you know, because we're in a crunch and I absolutely have to pay attention to it now. I would be able to stick with it. Not at all. This movie bounced off of me like I was made of Teflon. I have no fucking... I couldn't tell you... I could tell you very basic things about the plot. Oh, you know, disgusting. but but I was very confused by this movie. And, you know, Vespi was fucking around on his phone, too. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe you're the perfect person to tell us what happened in this movie. <laughs> oh, I am. I'm all about telling you what, what happened. We're going to lean on you like a crutch this entire yes. conversation. Oh, just please like feel free. And what's going to be really funny is I'm going to be telling you about this movie and then you're going to be like, wait, what about this? I'm going to be like, actually, I don't know. Because <laughs> I, 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 followed, I followed this film, but I do also feel like there were moments in it where like I was looking at the screen and like my eyes just completely glassed over. Um, <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I, I, I had those moments, but um so no, okay. So let's let's dig into this. I'm gonna try my best, and this is this is not rehearsed. So let's see let's see how well this rolls off the tongue here. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can tell how intense this is because my dogs are getting upset. They're like they're like oh my <laughs> they're god, all worked up about Isaac's return. They want like, is he seriously about to regale the audience with the plot of Children of the Corn Six Six Six? The world's biggest John Franklin fans. And I will I will point out that Ted actually requested another Children of the Corn title. 
you know, like usually we always let the guests pick, but he picked the one we had done somewhat recently, the the fifth one. Yes. And so I was like, we like we're not doing these twice, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> just absolutely no reason to like double dip on any of these titles. But what about six? And it was like, yeah, yeah. how bad could was- it be? I was yeah. excited about five because the cast on five is just like, I mean, it's Fred Williamson and Ahmet Zappa and Eva Mendez and Kane Hodder and Alexis. Oh, right. and all these yeah. It's so David many. Carradine. Yeah. 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 Oh, Carradine. Yeah. Carradine's got like two scenes in it. And it, it's the movie that according to legend was originally called, um, it was called field, uh, children of the corn five fields of a field of screams, but they were like, <laughs> Like we can't get away with this. So at the last minute they changed it to fields of terror, which doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it means something. It means a spooky field, but it's like, it's such a bad title that it's like somebody in the office was like, well, we can't call it Field of Screams. Let's call it Fields of Terror, like a week before it came out. We're um, lucky it wasn't Field of Shivers. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. So it's, Christ. it's so, what's really fucking wild is I swear we just did that, that episode on Children of the Corn Five, like in the last, was it in the last couple months, Eric? All this shit blends together for me, so I don't uh, remember. But... It was recent. I I don't think it was that that recently. I don't have the list in, up in front of me. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It here's was, how it much was in these March. They, here's yep. how much these movies bounce right the fuck off of me. Yep. As you were naming the people that were in the movie, I was surprised to hear them. Even though we <laughs> had that exact <laughs> conversation on the show, I was like, "Oh, really?" I'm like, my brain was like, "Oh, I didn't know he was in that." And then some other voice was like, "You fucking moron." You just watch it. <laughs> so, Jesus. so six six six, which has like I won't say nobody in it because it actually has Stacy Keach in it, which blew me away. I had Nancy no idea. Allen, Nancy yeah, Allen and, of all people. Yeah, and Nancy Allen, like like Carrie Robocop, two of my faves, and now yeah. I have a third Nancy Allen fave. Children it's, of the Corn. <laughs> it's funny that like all the fucking Children of the Corn sequels have at least two people in them that you would never expect to be in the children of the corn movie (laughs) like maybe not two but like three had charlize theron yep Uh maybe it's not two people but yeah well charlize charlize is in that movie for like six frames and yeah i feel like the next release of that movie is gonna have her name on the cover Um, (laughs) so in in this one the the, so bad so six 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 um, which I will only refer to as 666 because they make a point <laughs> to let you know that that's the title of it. Mm-hmm. So there's this there's this young woman, Hannah, who's like, she lives in LA, even though she's dressed like an Amish person. Like she, she's, mm-hmm. she's like the least hip LA girl on earth. She's driving back to Gatlin because that's supposedly her hometown. She left there 19 years ago and she's going back to find her mom. Uh, so she's, she's on her way back. She picks up a mysterious hitchhiker who disappears in her car, which, and she's like completely cool with it. She's actually like, Oh, okay. So there was this guy and he, he gave me this foreboding story and then just like magically disappeared from the car. (laughs) I'm just willing to like, let that go. Um, the sheriff shows up, the sheriff's like, you shouldn't be in our town, young woman. And then goes, young woman, you're the missing girl from Gatlin who disappeared all those long years ago. You were born on Halloween. You that were born on you were the, prof- the chosen one. Yep. So please come into town and go to the hospital that's run by Stacy Keach. Um, and also and- you are 18. So the sex scene later in this movie is totally legal. Totally legal <laughs> and super skeezy. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so, so fucking, so, oh, we're getting ahead of her. Yeah, I'm getting yeah, ahead of so her. So. She, 
she she gets to town. Oh, and I forgot to mention the opening credits of it are so beautifully late nineties. It mm-hmm. hurts. It's that like X Files faux typewriter font that like mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. edgy movies use for their opening credits. It, yep. It's it's so beautifully ugly. Like and so she she gets to town. She starts meeting all the kids who are in town. And like all of the children of the corn sequels, like it's it's almost completely people who are about to die according to the rules of the town. Like everyone <laughs> in this town is like 17 years old. Um, and then there are like select adults, which yeah. like I was mentioning about like, like the previous part five, it's like, there's, I was named off all these people. Every single one of those people is like in their fifties. And it's right. like, it's like the kids in the town are like, we're going to let Stacy Keach live because he's Stacy Keach and he runs the hospital. And it's like, I don't know. I remember in that first movie, you were kind of killing everybody. Yeah. yeah. Indiscriminately slaughtering oh, yeah. motherfuckers. Yep. And they weren't like, was- uh, and they weren't taking a census beforehand to find out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What like- is your role in this community? Oh, doctor. Well, yeah. you're going to be spared. We're yep. going to get to the end of this fucking franchise, and it's going to turn out they only killed like the people in that diner in the first movie. All the other adults were <laughs> everybody alive. else was fine. Yeah. yeah. So while she's in the hospital, she bumps into the comatose body of Isaac from the first movie, <laughs> and this is this is I, I believe I believe I could be wrong. I think it is the only time any of the sequels directly reference the first film ever. Like there's references to the first film and all of them, but this is the first time that there's like a carryover. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. okay. So, so I, I, there, there is some story ties to throughout all of them in some way, even if it's just a throwaway, like, and yeah, they, you know, that happened in the past or whatever. It's like, there's always something like that, but this is the first time th- and it very well might be one of the first uh, legacy sequels. The legacy sequel. And it, it's noted in the movie when, when surprise, surprise, this girl leaves the hospital. Isaac wakes up just so happens to wake up while she's in town. Uh, from his coma and they note he's also been in the coma for 19 years the same mm-hmm. age this girl is mm. the movie's 1999 which means that the original movie must have taken place in 1980 even though it came out in 1984 but i guess they're just like retconning that i guess that's <laughs> i didn't even think of that yeah, yeah. I, oh i i got deep when i was watching this film <laughs> yes so, he yes. doesn't just accidentally wake up, though. She touches him, and that's yes. what wakes him yes. up. Yes, 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 and gives him the zap of life. Also, they chose a close-up for the first time Isaac opens his eyes in 19 years, and he clearly has contacts Contact in. lenses in. Motherfucker, if I had contacts in for nearly two decades, I'd be pissed off, too. Like, <laughs> oh, I bet that hurt. Um, and I'm, yeah, those are going to be those 80s contacts, too. Oh, that are like, yeah, they're like glass. Essentially windshields, yeah. yeah. One, one thing I want to throw in at this point is that this movie was written by John Franklin, who originally mm-hmm. pl- who played Isaac in the original and reprises his role here, um, yep. and his his cousin Tim Sulka. So somewhere along the line, I think John Franklin went to Dimension and was like, "I'm the original Isaac," and guess what? I got, <laughs> I got an idea, idea for how we can bring <laughs> this back to its glory. You know, you're fucking around with Fields of Terror. It's time for Isaac's return, and then this happened. You're pumping Um, these out. I'm your Freddy Krueger, bitch. Yeah. So as as Ted is describing this, keep in mind that the original Isaac is now an adult man who's in this movie, and (laughs) he also he wrote it. Yeah. And he's he's supposed to be. I mean, I don't know how old he was supposed to be in the original film, but it's only 19 years later. So this coma has been really hard on Isaac. (laughs) 
John Franklin has a growth hormone deficiency. Yeah. And okay. So, and so when, which I didn't know until we did like the first mm-hmm. episode on Children of the yeah. Corn with April Wolf. I, I actually, I actually didn't know that about him. I just, I just thought he had a very unique no. look. Like no, he was in his twenties when he when he played Isaac the first time. Yeah. Which what, like what a- yeah, because I was watching it that on that particular occasion. That's when I was watching it. And I was like. This kid is fucking phenomenal. What is he, 12? And then I like looked it up and yeah, he was like in his mid 20s. I was like, what? No the fuck? kidding. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Okay. Yeah, well, so he's real old. And yeah, yeah so he's this. he's legit 40 in, in this. Uh, but I, he, he, even though he was in his 20s in the first, he wasn't, his character wasn't. He, his yeah, character right. was 12, 13 or whatever. Right, right, right. And part of the big, uh, one of the big points of this plot is that he had a kid before he went into a coma. So yes. that means that his 12, 13 year old was, you know, getting down and dirty with some of the other, uh, you know, corn children and, yep. uh, and, uh, uh, left some progeny behind for when yep. he woke had up, a, had a child in 1980. And then the he, big, the big question is, was it, is it Hannah, the young woman who has returned to town or is it someone else? And we we're led to believe it could be Hannah or it could be one of the, Two completely interchangeable white white boys with brown hair, crew cuts. Who I actually took me some time to realize they were different. Two, guys. two different characters. Fuck hundred percent. Yeah. They both Absolutely. look like they they both look like they're recurring uh, cast members on like Party of Five. Yeah. Oh, a hundred. Right. It's like <laughs> yep. it's like you have no idea which one. They're just handsome, like <laughs> handsome teen beat. You know, yep. late nineties. Yep. So I'm watching this. Parts. And, yeah. We've got Matt and Gabriel. Are the the two so as as it progresses? Um, oh, you know, Matt and Gabriel do their own thing. One of them turns out to be good. One of them turns out to be bad. Surprise, surprise! And um, without spoiling it, it turns out one of those three people we mentioned is is one of the the love children of of Isaac. Isaac, what do you mean? With, hold on. What's this? Without spoiling it, first of all. I need you to tell me because I still don't understand what fucking happened <laughs> oh, in this movie. I got, I got you. Secondly, oh. we're spoiling the shit out of movies on this podcast. So, oh, well, in that case, all right. Yeah. yeah so, so, who, like, yeah, walk me through who <laughs> is who in relation. Like, okay, so the sheriff lady is Nancy Allen. No. Is Hannah's no. mother? Right? No, the the sheriff lady is a, a follower of Isaac. She is the mother of Isaac's child, but is not is not Hannah's mother. Hannah's mother oh, is right, 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 right. Hannah's Na- mother is yeah. Nancy Allen, who is yes. just like local adult. They let live because okay. we. I, I misspoke. It, so she's yeah. not the cop, but we do see right. her yeah. in that scene with the cop in the graveyard. Yes. I'm, I'm just getting them. they we also just stuff. picture Nancy Allen being a cop because of Robocop. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, and Gabriel. Who is just a guy who shows up at some point is Correct. Isaac's son. Um, so, so Gabriel is Isaac's son, but um, okay, let's see if I get all this right because there, there's the I'm terrified one. that there's a butt here because that should be the end. <laughs> of the, the right, I know it, it's needlessly complex. Um, but but the whole thing is that Isaac has told both these boys that he is their son so that they will like follow him and love him but it turns out only one of them is his son it turns out Gabriel is his son the bad one okay. um whereas Matt 
Um, Matt is not. Matt's the one who turns out to be a good boy who has who has sex with Hannah, impregnating her with the new baby of the corn. Um, so there's that whole business. That's the wait. Hold on, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia here, and it's saying Gabriel is the one that sleeps with Hannah. Oh God. Yeah, we fucked <laughs> it up already. Uh, and I'm well, pretty the sure thing, it's Gabriel because Matt is the one that's like Gabriel's the one that saves her when that fucking uh, that like mental patient comes at her with an axe, right? Oh my god, yes, yes. So and and that's the one she later like. There's a whole fucking. They almost get killed, and then they run into a barn and fuck. Oh my like, god, you're right, Gabriel. They run into the barn. She and Gabriel run into the barn and fuck, well, and then they take shower first, which is really a shower with a hose. It's fucking uh, bananas. I thought was really they're being pursued by the corn children and their adult counterparts, and they pause to take a shower in a barn and fuck in like on the dirty floor of this barn. Yes, and you are totally sh- right. And then Matt's the one. Who right after right after she fucks Gabriel, he's like, "Well, I'm out," and proceeds to jump <laughs> on top of a scythe, yes. himself while like late '90s new metal plays. <laughs> um, also, I do I do have to point out one of my favorite things about this movie. Speaking of new metal, is like our heroine, who's from the big city of Los Angeles, is dressed like an Amish person, while yes. the children of Gatlin, Nebraska look like they are like new metal fans waiting in line for an Evanescence show. True, like, <laughs> very they're true. Like, they're like wrapped in '90s leather chokers and black fishnets, and they're like caked with mascara. Like every single one of these people looks like they didn't get to be in the craft, but they were like, "Hey, we're making." Like Miramax was like, "There's another movie shooting next door. Everybody, <laughs> everybody come on over." All Stay of you costume. sad, all of you sad seventeen-year-olds who didn't get to be in the craft. Good news, children of the corn six six six. Oh, yeah. You know what time it is, babies? It's mid-roll ad read, and that means it's time to talk about our friends at Lumi Labs once again. That's right. We are talking about microdosing. You've heard the spiel, but you know what? We're going to give it to you anyway because we love this product so much, and uh, they're a loyal sponsor of the show. Probably the longest sponsor we've had. uh, That's true. Thank you, Lumi Labs. Yeah. What Lumi Labs is, is we're talking about those uh, synthetic THC gummies. And because they are synthetic, they can be sent to your front door, no matter what your state's evil, awful, draconian marijuana laws might be. Texas looking at you. (laughs) So you can get them no matter where you live. And these things aren't designed to kind of get you high off your ass. It's designed to make you feel relaxed. This is kind of a godsend for me. I've spoken a lot about my trouble keeping a normal sleep schedule and these things they uh they work way better than melatonin for me i don't know but you know when you take melatonin at least i do i kind of get like weird fucked up dreams and then i like can feel groggy if i you know take them and don't get enough sleep i don't feel that with these lumi labs gummies and uh that's how i use them i know scott uses them a little bit more to to have a pleasant buzz going on you can do whatever user's choice babies that's how how these things work. So to learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. That's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. Now, with all of that said, I think it's time to get back to the show. Hey, 
there's something else to the parentage debate here because my interpretation <laughs> my, my, my my interpretation <laughs> here interpretation. keeping keeping in mind that this was pieced together uh, while uh occasionally uh uh playing my marvel puzzle quest um, <laughs> my interpretation is that the the one that she bones uh, he comes out like he, he confronts Isaac at the end, going, you know, I, but I was really the firstborn. But like he then says, but uh, you're not not actually my father. He who walks behind the rose is my true father, and I am now he who walks behind the rose or whatever. Oh, so he's he's like the Jesus Anakin Skywalker of the series. That so my the way I read it was that the kid who killed himself, the one that was like, oh my god, he's the pro- prophesized one or whatever, you know, that's gonna screw this girl and then make the the corn Jesus baby or whatever. Uh, the one that jumps on the scythe was actually Isaac's kid, oh and this other one was the the like born of he who walks behind the rose. Um, now, scanning Wiki now, Wiki's like he was possessed by he who walks behind the rose. Uh, but I don't know. He has this whole speech where he's talking about like how he's literally you know the spawn of this thing. Oh so, so uh, and he also has super magical powers in which he like like treats uh, Isaac like a ventriloquist dummy. Yes. And he not, mel- not a ventriloquist, mel- like a, like a Pinocchio style on strings yes. dummy. Yeah. Um, and he also melts a person's face and he makes the, he makes the sheriff shoot herself and yeah. he has all sorts of magical powers. He also right. can walk up walls like that. Uh, oh, what a feeling video. Um, <laughs> all right. And randomly like you've got you like, okay, we brought back Isaac from the first movie. Oh my God. Like the legendary, killer oh it's so cool and it's like and so then gabriel proceeds to walk up a wall break off a steam pipe and then throw it into isaac like the end of commando like let <laughs> off a steam bennett moment and that's how he decides to kill like our iconic character that were brought back is impaled on a pipe not only that but like like um this edgelord leader of the kids like Right before killing him, he busts into this weird like game show host thing. Uh, yeah, like like yeah. where he's he's like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to it's your death. And there's like like canned like audience cheering mute uh-huh. like sounds like this this like timeless creature from beyond the veil who possesses people and like decides to do like a game show riff before killing Isaac. Yeah. Well, like late late film late stage Freddy Krueger antics. Yeah, yeah, it's right? super. Yeah. You're right. It's total late stage Freddy. Yeah, because yeah. it's just like I I feel like I actually felt for Isaac in that moment. The character of like, oh my god, have I seriously devoted my whole life to this guy, and he's about to kill me <laughs> with a game show host riff? Like that's <laughs> that is my ultimate punishment for doing all of this. So. Yeah. So anyways, Isaac gets impaled on a pipe, let off some steam Bennett and Gabriel then, then proceeds to get killed in like a wildly anticlimactic stabbing. And well, hold on. If I'm I'm understanding this properly, um, Isaac has been in this, Isaac's (laughs) been in this coma all this time. He's been in a and coma then, from 1980 then, to 1999 when the yes, movie took place. Yes, yes. And then Hannah shows up and touches him. Mm-hmm. He reawakens. Yes. And then it turns out all his powers are in this other kid. And he just gets <laughs> stabbed with a fucking steam pipe. Like, what? What? 
Yep. He has he like, has a Isaac, moment. Does does Isaac have powers in this? Not really. He just has his power of pers- persuasion, I guess. Like, oh, he's because there, there's all this talk of there's like a Harry Potter style prophecy that has heretofore never been discussed within yeah, the franchise. Every but... single character in Gatlin references at least once after yeah. meeting our lead character. But the prophecy said that she would be revealed to us. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but like, uh, but in kind of that typical twist, the prophecy wasn't really about Isaac. It was about he who walks behind the rose. So, uh, but <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, but so he has this thing and and if this was like David Gordon Green had rebooted this and done the legacy sequel thing, there would have been like this big moment where he fucking finds his his weird like, you know, religious hat, you know, <laughs> and he puts it back on his head slowly and there's like, you know, it like eclipse style blocks the, the out the, can, sun the camera slowly up. whips around him as a piece of the original score plays <laughs> yes. in the background. Yeah, we would have gotten that moment. But here he just kind of puts his hat on again and he's like walking around with the other kids and and like saying some weird religious shit and about the prophecy and then uh uh and then he hasn't fucking fuck all to do which is weird considering john franklin's the one who wrote this you would have thought that he would have had that that all that that crazy fucking you know uh, telekinesis style powers that uh that he gives this other bad guy but maybe he also (laughs) thought this was his his ticket into like okay these they're just pumping these movies out i can make two of these a year and you know, uh, I'll, I'll just write and produce the next ones, and and it'll all be about this new Freddy Krueger, he who walks behind the rose, you know, bad guy, and and uh, uh, because it, you know, a little spoiler again at the end, the dude that gets stabbed, he does a little cough and goes, guess what? I'm all right. And then he says, boom, and things explode, and uh, the movie ends with Nancy Allen and her uh, her estranged and abandoned daughter uh, <laughs> holding each other as they're walking down the road, and uh, that's it. You sound insane right now. You sound, <laughs> you sound unhinged. Everything you just said, like... Am I wrong? Listen, here's... This is... How do I come at this? <laughs> We have watched a lot of bad movies for this show, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. I can sit through a bad movie. I love a yeah. bad movie. You know this. Mm-hmm. There's something else going on here where my brain does not want to process anything to do with this movie. <laughs> it, it happened not only like while I, during my three goddamn attempts to fucking watch it, but also like I asked a question about four minutes ago. Uh-huh. And you started responding, and my brain started going, uh, "What do you What do you think of for dinner tonight?" You know, <laughs> and, and so I was drifting in and out everything of uh-huh. you, that you just said. And when I tuned back in at the end, you sounded fully insane. Like you're saying, <laughs> "I don't know what the fuck this movie is." I there is something about there is some quality to it that <laughs> I I don't give a shit on a level that's like. Like, I'm not angry at it. It's not particular. I don't think it's like poorly made. You know, it looks like every other fucking. And actually, it's got a few shots in it that are actually like, like, feel free to roast me, but kind of inspired. There's a few shots. No, I hear you. Like, this actually looks kind of good. I think it's the script. Like, I just, there's, or, or maybe it's that I've now watched fucking. I guess this is the seventh one I've watched for the show because I also watched that fucking new one. Yeah, the you know, remake, yeah. Ugh. oh, oh, yeah. buddy. Um, I have not. Maybe I'm just like my my 
maybe my brain is just like at this point we are not accepting any further children of the corn lore at this time or <laughs> narrative. You know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, why are you trying to make this wildly simple conceit? And that's no offense to King. The concept is solid and fun. Yes, absolutely. But like, why are you trying to like put a hat on a hat here? Like, like it's really easy. It's like religious fundamentalism, kids going nuts. Like it's, it's really and some supernatural shit that we don't see that lives in the corn. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I feel like the first time he who walks behind the rose really like shows up, shows up, which is like, even we see like glimpses and weird, the clouds and the, the burrowing, right. uh-huh. like raboid stuff in the first one. But yeah. like, it isn't until I think it's the second or third one where it actually like pops out of the ground and looks like one of those thing dogs. That's mixed. the third. That's, a th- yeah, that's, yeah, urban yeah, that's that urban yeah. harvest girl. Hey, like, like that's where you get that Charlize Theron, Kim. Uh, yeah, Kim yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and there's the big CGI. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, there's not even fucking. Maybe there were, and I missed them because I, my I I was clenching my eyes shut against the 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 pain of watching this. But it, it seemed to me that there's not really any kids in this movie. They're all fucking teenagers and adults. Yeah. And yeah. and that robs us of a tradition we have during yeah. these these children of the corn episodes to discuss how many children, how many corn children you think you could beat up at one time. You know, <laughs> this this is a completely different thing. Now we've we've got 50 year old men. We've got skateboarding teens who have bad attitudes and shit like this is this is a completely different ball of wax but in defiance of this movie i'm still gonna ask ted a question we've been asking uh our children of the corn guests since the belay brothers came on um how many children of the corn and i'm talking classic children of the corn like like in the first one basically so they've got some of them have uh maybe maybe one of them's got a torch one's got a pitchfork um you know they've got little implements yes all melee weapons do any of them have guns no, no, no guns. Anything that can be projectile, no I arrows. Think, I think guns are antithetical to corn corn boy life. Like corn I would boy. think. But I feel like I feel like one might have like a dumb bow and arrow or something. So but, there's okay. there's bow oh, and arrows in the shitty remake. But okay. there's no, I, I think it's just like clubs of wood and hand scythes and uh you know like pruning shears and shit. Just yeah. stuff that would be lying around. Right. So how many like you get out of a car and you're in a town square and say 20 of these come at you like down a street walking towards you with these these implements in their hand. How many of them? How many of these children could you beat up before you think you would fall? So I'm going to say that I I am beyond not a fighter. Um, I have a total glass jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went to Fantastic Fest one year and did the the slappy competition. Oh yeah, slap I was, shots. I was knocked unconscious immediately. <laughs> Who got um, you? Uh, Tim League. Um, <laughs> so of course. Um, but knocked unconscious. Like I actually did a pirouette in like midair and didn't actually fall. But one of my friends ran over to me and was like, "Yo, yo, 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 are you? Are, hello, hello, hello?" And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and they were like. You need to sit down. You, that was, you got knocked out. And I was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. so I sat mm-hmm. down and that was the last time I've ever been struck, consensually struck by the wonderful Tim League. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I have a feeling that if, if, 
if any of these small children um got even the slightest hit in on me, I would be down for the count. I feel like I would be one of the first people in Gatlin to die. Um <laughs> that said I will I will say like earlier on in the in the episode I was talking about how I'm a big animation fan and you know, I, I know people love to shit all over Seth MacFarlane stuff, but like one of my comfort things is is Family Guy and American Dad. And there's actually a, a, a Family Guy thing where they uh, Peter asks his friends, he, he's like, how many fourth graders could you take on at once? And they all have their like explanation for how they think they could take on the fourth graders. And mm-hmm. uh, I believe it's Peter who's who's like, I would actually want to be backed into a bathroom stall so that they can really only come at me one at a time and they would just pile up. <laughs> You know, over- <laughs> it's the three hundred defense again. Yeah, yeah. The- so it's like corn <laughs> you would be trapped in the bathroom stall, the and bathroom just- of Thermopylae. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just like taking on like child after child as they climbed over the unconscious other children. Right. Oh, okay, but I, you're I, saying I, you're getting taken out like right off the bat. I, I think there's a very good chance that I would not last very long, unless. So here, here's the one thing: they're children, though. I know, but I'm very weak. Um, <laughs> you could fucking Chad. You could beat up the average child like that. Okay, you know. Okay, so like, let's really dig into this. Okay, so <laughs> I I have never I have never struck a person ever in my life. But I'm thinking like right. like just just theoretically, like so a group a group of children the corn come at me. I I feel like I would the first thing I would do is the underhanded thing where I would just start kicking as many of them in the crotch as possible because I've always sure. been taught yeah the, the self defense class. They're like right. look. No, nobody ever is like coward when you've escaped with your life. So also, okay, you, underhanded, like fucking, they have sights and shit, man. Okay, These yeah, kids, right. like, and I, I want so, to, I, and I should say, just for anyone listening, we are not talking about. We, we do not. The King has does not condone, support, respect, <laughs> or appreciate. You know, uh, the abuse of children. Obviously, you know that's not obviously. what we're talking about here. We are talking about corn boys and girls, mostly Almost boys. Idle. Let's be honest. Um, who are, you know, pint sized, but they are lethal. These kids are they're, evil, and their only goal is for you to die, not to be injured, yes. to die. Yes, yes. So yes. you know, we're not advocating for anyone to go you know, buck wild and fucking storm onto a playground somewhere and and try to. Yep. You know, yeah, how many? Well, I got fucking twelve, dude. So top that. Like, yeah. no, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but like, no, if I, you, I will. <laughs> if, you if you're in Gatlin, ahead. Nebraska, and you were attacked by the corn children, it is okay to fucking fight okay. for your life in that situation. Oh, I feel like I, I could crotch kick a couple of them. I would probably just start wildly swinging. I've never actually connected my my fists to someone. I, I might be able to take out like one or two more, but I am also like they have sharp things that would probably hit my arm. And the moment I have one of those like gross green room arms where it's just like all meat and bone, like, I'm, yeah. I'm dead. I'm dead. I would I would look at it, scream, and die. I, I love that. I I love that you cited green room when when you were leading up to this. The immediate thing that flashed into my mind is the scene from Ace Ventura when nature calls and when he throws the gets the spear thrown in his leg yeah. during the fight oh, and he just stands there oh. and, and screams at the spear yes. in his leg for like 30 seconds it's like that's what i pictured like a scythe flies out from from off screen into your leg and you just ted gay ah! for 30 seconds and then immediately yeah gets something so i i would say right. i would say like really really like like it, it, highballing this I think I could take out maybe four children of the corn. I think that's you're a pretty low number. Yourself. 
Yeah, I really think you're underselling yourself. On okay, this. I mean, look, you have well, you have made feature fi- you have made three feature films. That's a, an enormous undertaking, right? It is. You I've know, never this is, this is a thing that <laughs> most human beings could not do if they were tasked with doing it. It's the ability to make a film is is serious shit. You know, I, I think you need to take some of that confidence that you have earned and put it toward put it into the hitting. absolute ass beating of these corn children. Like, like, I, like you're you're selling yourself so short that you're not even coming up with, with a game plan. What if you picked one up by the ankles and you start swinging around in a circle and mowing oh. down everyone around you, like Titanicking them? Like, yes. like yeah, but like, by the ankles. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, Maybe, that's actually in my memory. That's how that scene in Titanic goes. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you could. That's something you could do. Um, you know. True. And there are a lot of there are a lot of variables that you should be able to uh, overcome should should the situation present itself because odds are the first the little ones are going to be quicker so the little ones are going to be the one that gets you first. Yep, those will be the easy easier ones. The teenagers will be afterwards, and that those are the ones you're going to have to really worry about. what I what I'm just gonna assume is that you know the Gatlin Diner was like the first place to get hit, and if there if there was, I mean I'm sure there was a Gatlin Bar. That's probably where they would have found me. Um, uh-huh. And I can I can only hope that I was in the stall at the bar at the time, and I could have done the Peter Griffin, and I could have just Hermopolied like, <laughs> because you know what, like I probably could have taken out more than four. If I was in the bathroom. Fuck yeah. If, if they're in a bar, pick up a pool cue and just wham, wham. I mean, I'd be oh, in the bathroom. Oh, son. It'd be like a tornado. <laughs> fucking wah, 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 wah. You're done, corn it, boys. It really depends how, how uh, coordinated they are. If they're just like regular kids that are just sloppy and do whatever, then yeah, they're not going to be coordinated. But or, if, or like, did Isaac give them any training? Like, if there's like there, 10 of them that are attacking you at once, then they're going to dogpile mountain you to the ground. It's like, like, was there is... was there a secret like American Ninja camp that was happening that nobody <laughs> knew about? That's the, Look, this is the thing, right? The, the corn children are, um, they're not trained. They were not put through some sort of like, I'm picturing like the fucking gorilla boot camps that fucking uh, uh, David Ferry is setting up in like JFK. I mean, it's like dudes running through fucking trenches and doing monkey bars. The the corn boys and the corn children were not like going to that length. They are in, they are invested with pure evil. You have to understand that. So the evil is guiding their actions. So you're not up against children in this in this circumstance i don't think you're up against an evil entity that is inhabited these children who now have stabbing uh, instruments and such yep so i think like you know it's it's time to just fucking unleash unleash the gagan you know what i mean unleash the gagan i don't think you need to I, i i think i think in a pinch i think with your life on the line i think you would fight harder then you're then you're giving yourself okay so you guys having met me a very limited number of times at film festivals mm-hmm. and whatnot knowing that i'm you know of, of small stature and you know i, I feel, you know what's interesting is i meet a lot of i meet people who only know me from twitter and they're like they're like i actually thought you were mean because you photograph mean i've had a lot of people tell <laughs> me i like i apparently have like angry eyebrows or something mm-hmm. i don't know what it is uh-huh. but I think people people must assume I'm I'm a lot tougher than I am, but I am not. I am a crybaby. Well, you're and bald. 
fucking glass jaw. I am bald. So yeah, you know why like people are people people get that. It's weird how a haircut impacts yeah, that shit. I was in high school and somebody slapped the hair right off of me and I cried. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. When well, Tim League found you in high school, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I was so I, I was I, trying to say earlier, like Tim Tim League and I punched each other in the fucking pit at Ichio last year at Fantastic Fest. Uh, that guy can swing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, I will say that, you know. He also a, takes that shit extremely seriously, too. So yeah. there's, uh, like, it's it's fun and it's serious within a fun, protective con- context, of course, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if we're if you're at that point where it's like, this is what it's happening now, then he's going to go, well, we're doing it for real. It's consensual. Right? With love. Fun, but with yeah. love, but we're doing it for real. Like, he'll... He was the guy that got in the ring with uh, Michelle Rodriguez for yeah. for like where they do those fantastic debates things and he would like he'd boxed and she was like, aha, you know, it's cool. Fine, fine. You know, and you could tell she was like, oh, this is fun. We're going to spar a little bit. And, you know, the bell rings and he goes up to her and just like fucking lands a, a real punch on her. And she's like, oh, I'm an actress and I'm, a, you know, the guest of this festival and I'm a girl and you hit me great oh man i've been fucking preparing for this and the smile she got on her face and she beat the fuck out of tim <laughs> but that is tim that is shit rocked was, routinely during the... she was yeah he he always gets beaten up but he takes that shit seriously and uh, that's one of the things i love about that guy so, yeah, yeah yeah i i i was actually so long ago that i remember um i i, I watched tim lee get his ass handed to him at the fantastic debates by the um uh um the, Did you Miami, see the Irish, the Miami, Irish Miami, way back, oh, way back. Oh, okay. I but was it was the Taekwondo a... master, just like like. Oh right. Hit him his foot, and I was I sat there going like, oh, thank you, thank you for somebody doing this. There was there was a year where there was like a documentary at Fantastic Fest that was like about like a this mountainous, yeah, yeah, like bare knuckled Irish boxer who was like, yeah. oh yeah. You know, like, just imagine Irish Paul Bunyan, and that's who this fucking guy was. And, like, Tim fought him that year at the Fantastic Debates. And I remember I was, that was when South Lamar was, like, old South Lamar. Because I I, I remember parking that parking lot, and I was walking into Lamar, and that fucking bare-knuckle boxer was, like, walking, you know, towards me. It was, it was, he was, he was, he was leaving coming. And, uh. I was like, hey, man, I fucking I saw that documentary in your and fucking, you know, great shit. And he was he was like, right. Out, or whatever. He, that was British. But he, you know, <laughs> whatever he said. And he like shook my hand and it was like shaking hands with like a brick mailbox or something like yep, yep. hand was like the size of my entire arm. And then, you know, like he flipped me around, like the Hulk with that with Loki at the end of the Avengers. It was it mm-hmm. like. Yeah, Tim. Uh, Tim can take yeah, a licking. It was. I, it, was um, told, it was totally a Johnny Knoxville versus Butterbean situation. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, it was. yeah. You, you know what? You know what's really funny is is this does a good little circle back. Is I I was there that year. It was 2011. That that documentary you're talking about was called Knuckle. It's great. Yes. Um, and um, the the guy McDonough, I I went to some like after party and he was there. And I'm just like having drinks and being silly because it's Fantastic Fest. And he comes over to me. He's like, Oi, you remind me of a friend of mine. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I just watched that documentary. It was really good. Like, please say something nice to me. Yeah, does he owe <laughs> you money? Yeah, exactly. And he was he was like, Yeah, yeah. I know this guy. You look like him. 
His name's Jason Statham. And I was like, I was with you. You don't look like Jason Statham. No, I know I don't look like Jason Statham. I wildly don't look like Jason. <laughs> you're just radically. Bald, don't you're, look like you have a shaved head, or you're bald, or whatever, and he's just a yeah. yeah. It was a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the thing, what what made it so good was he said this in front of like ten of my friends, and sure. nobody nobody had the nerve to say he was wildly incorrect. <laughs> It's like this bare knuckle boxer, and they're all just, they're all like they're all like yeah yeah Ted you kind of do look like Jason Statham <laughs> like wait wait for McDonough to walk away and then when he walks away they're all like don't you ever fucking claim that you, <laughs> yeah. know, uh, you look and Hobbs like, and Gagan yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> anywho but yeah that's uh I love, <laughs> what was I love that we just got gonged out is there a school bell. Do you like that? No, you know what that sound was? That was actually me finishing this incredibly tall glass of red wine that I've been drinking for the whole show. Oh, <laughs> oh perfect! Ding. So it was I, the sound of it being empty. <laughs> we've gotten we've gotten way off track. Let's um. Yeah. Well, hopefully let's, people uh, have enjoyed some of the ludicrousy. <laughs> uh, well, this isn't a this isn't a rare problem on the show. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just I'm just I'm just settling. I'm centering us. Um, so. Let me ask you this, Ted. Um, I understand that Dimension owned the rights to Children of the Corn. And that's why a lot of these things got made. You know, they wanted to retain the rights. They they probably made a decent margin on, like, home video shit. Because none, none of this trash was hitting theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Like, they're... They haven't stopped making Children of the Corn things. Yeah. They keep coming at this from different angles. Like, you know, um, you know, a TV I movie, a fucking hope, remake. I hope, that, that I, hope, whole... I hope I'm guessing where this is going. Well, I'm just I'm just wondering um what your take is on why yes. oh you know no. why are why why do people keep coming back to this? Like I feel like you kind of said everything that needed to be said in the first one. But this is a movie that's produced like a dozen fucking installments. That's 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 un, unheard of. Like, why? What do you? Why, why do you think? Why? Look, I, I, I this is not what I thought you were going to ask, but I, I I do have an answer for it. Well, I'm what did not. you think I was going to ask? I thought you were going to ask me what my take was would be if I were to make a children. Oh, well, we'll do that yeah. after this. But why, okay, what do you think about the enduring the the longevity life of, of this the, thing? The longevity yeah. of this has nothing to do. I mean, God bless. It has nothing to do with Stephen King. It has nothing to do with these kids. No. It has to do with America's love of corn, one hundred percent. Like like America, oh, no. we, we love corn. I mean, like I'm just saying, dent corn, sweet corn, baby corn, flint corn. I mean, there's all these great corn. We've got popcorn. We've got heirloom corn. There's so many wonderful, delicious kettle corn. Kettle corn. We've got kettle corn. The list of corn goes on and on. We use corn for our beer. We use corn to power our cars. We love. You sound like the guy corn. from fucking uh, the informant right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will take it. You know what's in that cereal you're eating? Yep, corn. <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> corn i just i i think i think yeah, america high, fru- high fructose corn syrups and our our obsession with corn is what keeps this this series alive we we love corn we i'm waiting for children the corn puffs i'm waiting for children the popcorn i'm waiting for children there's you can go on and on and actually i feel like it, it's i i would be 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, like, we've gone off in all these other directions on the kids. Why don't we go off in all these other directions on the corn? There's so many other kinds of corn that we've yet to explore. And that, that's I hear, I, I, I hear what you're, you're going for here, but I'm looking for a serious answer. <laughs> like, what, like, what the fuck? You know, they didn't make this many Hellraisers. They're not made. They could just invent a mythology and do like ten cheapy fucking direct to to you know. Well, we used to be direct to video, you know, direct to streaming, yeah, direct to whatever installment. Like, why this one though? Do you like the best I got? Just to just to prompt you a little bit is that mm-hmm. you know all you need is a small town, some kids. You got some implements. Maybe you have like two three at top cgi effects in the entire thing like like is that it It, it's the 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 cheapness of it like the buy-in is so low that is this is this purely a franchise that is continued because of margins i i honestly like i i i my initial response after my 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 shtick about the corn would have been i don't know like I like I truly I truly do not know what keeps this like weekend at Bernie's two corpse alive. Like it is, it is very weird to me that they keep making these things. I do think that you did hit on something. I think it's like you shoot in a rural community. You have very limited cast. I mean, right. outside of the first film and really like Urban Harvest. Like the other ones, it's you don't really even get to see how many kids there are. You know, it's like right. children are they're like extras. Six, All you need is like children. three kids that can deliver a line plus like twenty yeah. extras, and you're golden. Yeah. But it, and then all your main characters are going to be you know thirty two year olds playing seventeen. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But it, it's like I mean, I think like I mean, Joel Sasson's been a part of the series for the past couple, and like he's he's got a bit of cred. You know, John Guliger directed that last one a couple years ago, and it's like, and Dimension owns the rights. I feel like it's just like they're just like, oh, let's make another one. Let's make another one. It, it, and and why make another one of this series over any of the other affordable series they can make? I I truly outside of it just being like it's it's a it's it's an easily identifiable IP that can probably be made on the cheap. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, they, I think that's it. That it, and, and even though you're like, you know, uh, God bless him, but you know, Stephen King isn't the reason. It's also the reason because even oh, you pull yeah. up the poster for for uh, uh, Children of the Corn six six six, and it's the very first thing at the top is based on Stephen King's Children oh, of the Corn. Yeah. You know, they're still using it to sell and he never sued to get his name taken off of this like he did with right. Lawnmower Man. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, and Lawnmower Man's, even that one spawned, you know, what? Two sequels? Two, Three? I think, yeah. Yeah. Like, two, the, that one has some sequels, all the Mangler stuff, you know, has multiple yeah. sequels that got cheaper and cheaper, but... You know, but those are you know to to the the point of this. They're they're they still cost more to make, even if they're uh, even if they're lower budget. Weirdly, they cost more because they have to try to put that budget into different things. Where this yeah. one, as long as you have you know a couple of drone shots of yeah. you know, fields of corn and and some you know kids wearing overalls and big hats and holding size, yeah. then you know that's <laughs> that's your and, that's your and, thing. You know, really, it's like I mean, I mean the the last one in in this series, like like the the OG whatever you want to call it series, was five years five or six years ago. I think the the John Gulliger one. Um, and after that, like, I mean, the, you know, they haven't gone back to it in, in, in a hot minute, but it also like, I know it, I know it's had like, you know, 
silence for a while you know it's like it kind of dies off but it's like i mean there was that site there was the sci-fi channel version of it and then there right. was the, the 2020 the re- just came out the, the right the covid remake one yeah. yeah so it's like hey, you know there's I, I i would not be surprised if if they pooped out a few more of these and honestly like I mean, I don't know what Gulliger's budget was for for the one that he made. I, I didn't actually even see it. I, I knew it was called Children of the Corn Runaway, which I thought was really funny because I was like, oh, so it's just one child. But <laughs> it's the cheapest sequel. I haven't seen it. I have no <laughs> idea what it's actually about. But like, it's Child of the Corn. <laughs> um, but... I, I- yeah, I mean, if the money, uh, not even, and when I say if the money was there, I don't mean like the the big fat cat cigar chomping producer sort of like budget, but like right. if the money was there, like like I think there's fun concepts to like play into, and and like I mean, I I've actually had like a corn concept that I've wanted to do for years that I'm like it's a total children of the corn movie, like right, fill it. Would, it's simple but it would be the idea of like it's it's a corn maze like like an actual Mm. like they don't do corn mazes and it's like you've got this corn maze and there's something in it and it's it's feeding off the fears of the people who are in this corn maze and it's this like it's this big it's it's he who walks behind the rose but it's like this giant like like beast and you know i kind of think of like um uh fuck oh my god i just spaced on the name of it uh that r- really wonderful uh the r r r r r um fuck it just totally escaped. it's the movie about the guys who go on the vacation um to like switzerland the ritual, the ritual thank you to yeah. the ritual and that that amazing creature in the ritual um yeah. like this this sort of like weird beast that's like partly human and partly something else and this idea of it being like this this like giant like monster that's like made out of the corn stalks you know that it's like a practical sort of thing that's like partly like ancient demon partly corn partly like this weird canine thing who is okay and who's um well who's who's organizing the corn maze like who's selling tickets look right now right now it's totally just conceptual and actually initially (laughs) didn't come up as a children of the corn concept it came up as like a corn maze sort of idea oh i see but but i do feel like like this this beast in it and obviously like this monster you know you've got this big thing it's kind of like this giant dog obviously you know one of the characters has to refer to it as the corn dog um (laughs) but they they, i i feel like that's kind of it's got to be it's got to be animalistic i'm going to interject this real quick because the the covid children of the corn movie they try to do something similar where it's like he who walks behind the rose is is this uh he looks like corn groot essentially and it's humanoid and he's made up of corn stalks and it and it's dumb as fuck you don't want groot you want something yeah that's animalistic or dated you want something that's really you know alien maybe even but you don't want something that's kind of like oh it's just like a a tree man, you know. No, that, it should that, be like a Lovecraftian old god. Yeah, you know, you know, Ted's Ted's thinking. I think here on on that point is right. Like the he who walks behind the bros should be some sort of, you know, like unknowable thing, with all these limbs coming off in different directions and just yeah. like, or as you said, best be alien. You know, yeah. it it just should be basically an upsetting to look at monster. You know, right. but not not fucking Groot. Right. Like, come on, come on with this yeah. nonsense. Well, and and the more you're talking about this, the more that it's 
it's clear that the children of the corn 666 like fucked up on so many levels just just as a children of the corn movie because there's fucking she drives in the corn i guess at the beginning and then there's like that one scene where the kids come out of the corn and like surround her and like hold hands and fucking sing at her and then stab her with a hypo for some reason to knock her out um but other than that like fucking isaac's not really got shit to do with corn he who walks behind the rose is just that fucking buffy extra you know looking dude it's like there's you know it has nothing to do with corn they forgot the corn they even and for the most part they forgot the children well said (laughs) you can get rid of one or the other you can't get rid of both come on now yeah that's truly what it is this movie only had the of the (laughs) <laughs> yes, the, this is the of the of the children of the corn movies. <laughs> so, Ted, this is usually the point in the show where we allow our guests to promote what they have coming up. We've talked a little bit about Brooklyn 45, but maybe tell the people where they can see it. Yeah, um, Brooklyn 45 is going to be available exclusively on Shutter and AMC Plus uh, this Friday. And I understand that it's it's hopefully going to be getting a physical media release in the future. I'm very excited about that because I'm a I'm a physical media fan. Nice. I love uh, that Shutter fucks around with physical releases. Me too. I, I think it, I know. think it's very I think it's very important. I think it's also really important <clears throat> for their brand to to do that. I, I think it's very smart because um, there are folks out there who just don't have access to proper streaming services, and and physical media is still a a great way to enjoy things and quite frankly like no matter how hd you're watching things on streaming services there there is something about that crispness when you pop in one of those 4k discs or a blu-ray that currently as of 2023 just just can't be matched and i'm i'm always excited to watch to watch cinema in in the best possible format so i'm I'm excited about that opportunity but in the meantime um i've seen what the movie looks like on shutter and boy does it look good um it's a really really nice transfer. So I'm. It's a real good that. looking movie. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, so yeah, I've got uh, I've got Brooklyn Forty Five coming out up apparently this Friday. Um, and it's I put my whole damn heart into it. I hope that, uh, like I said, it, it's very different um, than a lot of the stuff that's on Shutter. And I I hope that it opens up some dialogues. And I, I hope that people have conversations about it. Like I I think that it's a movie that that gets better when you talk about it with folks because there is there is no right mm-hmm. or wrong in the film there are just a lot of shades of gray which i i think are the best war movies um every single person has made horrible mistakes and they're haunted by those ghosts and what happens if those ghosts are actual ghosts and that's that's what the movie's about so i hope people i uh, hope people dig into it um other than that you know, if, if you're a New Yorker, please, please, please come out and be a part of Final Exam Horror Trivia. Um, we do live events every month. We foster a really welcoming, open community. We celebrate horror that we never shit talk anything. It is purely a celebration of movies. It takes place in a wonderful, uh, divey, gay leather bar in the West Village called Rock Bar. <laughs> It's one of the yeah. last. It's one of the last few remaining true like gay dives, um, and it is it is a really wonderful intersection between the horror and the LGBTQ plus communities, um, where people can just come in and talk about what they love without any any pretense whatsoever. And um, if you're 21 and you can get through the door, uh, you are absolutely welcome at final exam. It's uh, it's something that me and my my co-host, uh, the legendary Michael Gingold, have been really, really passionate about uh, 
keeping alive. It's it's a lot of work. I'm sure, as you guys know, it's 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 a lot of work to put together things that people don't realize require a whole <laughs> lot of work, right? And um, like just two dumb dumbs sitting and sitting behind microphones talking about Stephen yeah. King. It's yeah. Two yeah. dumb like, dumbs. Oh, anybody can do trivia that. slides, um, <laughs> right? But you know, and every month I say this is the last time I'm going to do this, and we get into that bar and we see those people having such a good time and feeling feeling safe and feeling happy and enjoying themselves and you know it, it doesn't keep the lights on but i'll be damned if it doesn't make me want to do it again so uh yeah. if you're if you're in new york please um take part uh the easiest way to find us is on twitter it's uh final exam trivia all one word um you can just find us there find out when the next events mm-hmm. are happening gents yeah. uh, so much fun um it, honestly it, it's it sounds dorky but like it, it's an honor to be on this show you guys you guys have the best guests you guys are the most wonderful accommodating hosts and i i just i feel really lucky that you guys asked me to be a part of this so thank you of course thank you thank you for being here i'm i'm sorry it took this this long to get you one but also you had a movie to promote and that's the best time so Amen. i'll take you it know. yeah We'll, uh, well, I'm sure we'll, well, you come into Fantastic Fest this year. Unfortunately, no, my, my little guy, his, uh, his birthday is September 24th. So I've got, uh, I've got a different celebration that I'm going to be doing here it's in New York. Birthdays yeah. every fucking year, dude. What are you talking about? Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. First yeah. birthday, first smurf day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. We'll, we'll just it's fine. We'll send, we'll send Tim over to your house to knock you out in person. Do, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. All right. Thanks. Thank Ted. you, Ted. Of course, guys. Thank you. Many thanks to Ted Gagan for joining us for yet another Spirited Corn Boys conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about this series, honestly, that that you would think after having this conversation now six times about like how you would fight Corn Boys that we would have kind of, I don't know, cornered the market. We would have figured out our good Corn Boy defense, but it seems like with each guest, mm-hmm. we have a whole new angle to approach beating up uh, children who happen to be wielding scythes and uh, believing in he who rock- walks behind the rose. So. Yeah, well, it's a very personal question. It so, is. of course, people are going to have very personal answers to it. And uh, I think it's a no-fail question. Every time we ask that question, we get a good response, one way or another. So uh, we will, of course, maintain that tradition as we continue to work our way through this godforsaken franchise. Yeah, I I think we only have seventeen more to go, and then we'll we'll have wrapped it up. Yeah, we're gonna we're, oh, fuck, fuck, and that's all I can say is fuck. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, you will be. I'm gonna lift your spirits up now a little bit, Scott, because we are going. I'm going to allow you to tell the people about the exciting episode we have next week. I know this is one of your favorites that we, we recorded recently. So, oh Green yes, now. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we're going back to Green Mile next week. We have a returning guest joining us for this. And if you've been paying attention on Twitter in the last month or so, you may have already seen this spoiled as our guest uh, just went ahead and tweeted it out from her account. So it's maybe not already a know. secret at this point. Let's go ahead and just tell the people. Uh, it's Laura Lux. Laura Lux is coming back to the Kingcast. She is taking on the Green Mile. And um, this this is one of my favorite episodes that we record, recorded recently. It goes to some really unexpected places it's it's a casual and sort of lighthearted episode but then it can't help but veer into some very dark and personal territory for for all of us i think yeah. so um there, i think people some are minds, some minds are changed in this episode like yeah, a little bit 
it's uh th- like some actual like persuasive discussions on on very gray topics such as the death penalty and mm-hmm. and all that like actually pop up so but like scott said like this is for the most part like us having having a blast it is a very serious story of course dealing with very serious uh issues and topics uh but it is somehow lighthearted despite that I want to. I want to put that expectation out there, where it's it's still going to be a fun listen. Uh, it's not going to be like, all right, now now time to get real serious and and dig no, into no, no, no. existential problems. <laughs> that, that no, we, we are we're, we're running the gamut with this one. You're going to get all all sorts of flavors in this episode, and uh, we're delighted that that Laura came back. Her previous appearance on the show is one that we know that Stephen King himself listened to. So we we talked to her about that. What she. Uh, how she reacted when she found out King had listened to her episode and um, all things pertaining to the green mile. So, uh, you know, get excited for that one next. Yeah. Week. And if you know, Stephen King and you're listening to this, send him in a heads up that we have Laurel. Don't Lux do coming that. Back. Don't ever don't. No, 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 no. Oh, don't. absolutely. Do it. And tell him that Scott Wampler sent you and ma- made you do it. So yeah, never, never ping King on our behalf. <laughs> ever, 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 ever do that. No, we, uh, we like to uh, keep the very tenuous relationship that we have with the master of horror uh, very safe and secure. And so we don't need anyone bothering him or suggesting things to him or uh, what have you. Let's hounding just, let's him just to avoid. listen to yeah, the damn we, show. We want to yes. get him back on eventually. So let's not uh, let's, let's not annoy the man. He's very busy. Agreed. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the Patreon bonus episode for this week. So we you have one of the stars of Scott Wampler's favorite movie uh, of the last few months, Avatar Two: The Way of Water. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is true that it is not one of Wampler's favorite movies, but we do have the star. We have Joel David Moore coming on to talk to us about uh, the Outsider. So we're going to have kind of like a feels like a main feed episode in the the Patreon bonus sphere this week. He's the star of Hatchet. He was. You know, he's like one of the scientist dudes in, in Avatar. This is perfectly timed for the release of Avatar on Blu-ray to get you excited about getting that them cat people on your personal uh, mm-hmm. DVD shelf. And uh, yeah, so we talked about some Stephen King shit with uh, Mr. Moore. And that will be on our Patreon this Friday. And do you want to have access to that? And you should go to patreon.com slash the Kingcast and sign up. And when you do that, you'll not only get access to uh, that bonus episode, but every single other bonus episode we've done over the last two and a half ish years. And uh, so that's uh, commentaries. You've got some deep dives in the niche King topics and uh, uh, we have a nice community over there. And why don't you yeah. come join us? Even got a discord. Come, come get on the discord. It's fun. over Fuck, there. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I guess we'll see y'all next week in the main feed for uh, the Green Mile with Miss Laura Lux and uh, this Friday on the Patreon with uh, Talking the Outsider with Joel David Moore. Adios, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. Yours truly.